I'm starting a brand new, kind of a, just a very short mini-series, three weeks, that's, um, that hopefully will stretch us and give us a greater appreciation uh, for the God we love and the God we serve. Because when we, I believe that when we understand and really comprehend who he is, it, it can't help but cause us to grow in our faith as well as strengthen and deepen the relationship that we have with our God and with Jesus. And it will help us, I think, to remember that no matter what we go through life, guess what, guys? He's in control, okay? No matter what happens in life, he's still in control. He always is. He always will be. And that's just who God is. So over the next three weeks, we want to unpack and look at three of the attributes of God. The fact that he's omnipresent, uh, ever-present, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. Tony Evans says that these three attributes, they always work in tandem. This is what he writes. He says, God knows what, we need, what needs to be done. That's omniscience. He has the power to do it. That's omnipotence. He always, he's always wherever he needs to be to, to do whatever needs to be done, and that's omnipresence. And today, that's what we want to begin to unpack, is that aspect of the omnipresence of God. Now, if you're not sure what that is, then this is a simple definition that we can work with. Uh, the Lord our God is everywhere at once. Now, think about that. The Lord our God is everywhere at once. He's everywhere. I mean, he's present all the time. Every second of every day, he's there. He's present. Uh, now, this is one of the... This, I think this is the, the reason that sometimes this is such a hard concept to wrap our minds around is because we can't imagine what it's like to be at two places at once, right? Even though some of you try, right? I mean, how many of you try? I mean, really? I mean, if we were honest, we try that, but we still, we don't really understand. We, it's hard to comprehend being in two places at once. Someone once said God's presence is like the air we breathe. Air is odorless and tasteless and invisible unless you live in Southern California. You know, most of the time we don't even think about the air we breathe, yet we depend on it for our very existence. Likewise, God's presence is all around us. And if it was taken away from us, even for a second, I don't, I don't believe we could survive without the very presence of God. Back in 1788, John Wesley wrote a sermon on the omnipresence of God. He uses this text, Jeremiah 23, 24. This is what Wesley wrote. He said, there is no point of space, whether within or without the bounds of creation, where God is not. And that's true. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, nature is too thin a screen. The glory of the omnipresent God bursts through it everywhere. Now, when I was in Bible college, uh, I went to Ozark Christian College, a sister college to MacU, Mid-Atlantic Christian College. And uh, my sophomore year in college, I traveled uh, with Christ in Youth. And I was um, a part of one of their teams. And we were the camp team uh, for a week of high school camp up in the Rocky Mountains at a camp called Camp Como. Camp Como was about 9,000 feet elevation. I mean, it was amazingly beautiful. And as a sophomore in college, I can remember sitting uh, around the campfire at night and just 
staring up at this unbelievably clear sky that was just filled with these sparkling stars. And I was just overwhelmed with the sense of God's presence and the fact that he was real and he was a part of my life. And I can remember waking up the next morning and looking out as the sun was beginning to come over the Aspens and beginning to light up this incredibly beautiful valley below and thinking the same thing, how awesome is our God? And feeling and sensing his very presence in my life at that moment, knowing that he was real and that he was a reality. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Even if it had been cloudy and stormy and pouring down rain, and I could not have seen those incredibly beautiful stars, even if the next morning the valley had been covered in this fog and the rain was still coming down, and even if I hadn't sensed God's presence at that moment, guess what? It would not have changed the fact that God was not there. He was still there. His presence was still alive and a part of who I was. You see, here's the thing we have to understand. His presence isn't dictated by the weather. His presence isn't dictated by the circumstances of life. His presence isn't dictated by how you feel. He's present all the time, every moment. I mean, in every event, in every sunset, in every sunrise, in every storm of life, in every second of every day. And when we finally begin to take that to heart and believe it, I believe that it will change who we are as a believer. Now, as we get started today, there are several important implications of God's omnipresence that we need to understand right out of the gate. Let me give you just a few of them. The first is simply this. God cannot be contained in a building. Okay? God can't be contained in a building. Solomon understood this when he said in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Now, why is this so important? It's important because you can't put God in a box or in a church and expect him to stay there. You can't do it. And yet we try. We try to put God in these little boxes or these boxes that we have. Or in a church building that says, this is where God's at. Let me tell you, God cannot be contained in a building. So yes, we sense, and I hope, we sense God's presence in this very place this morning. But guess what? His presence is also in the church down the street, and down the street, and down the street, or up the street. You see, it's, His presence isn't contained in a box. It's not contained in a building. The second thing is this. God cannot be localized in a city or a nation. God is no less present in one portion of the universe than any other. Paul Little writes, God is not a substance spread out in a thin layer all over the earth. All of him is in Chicago, in Calcutta, in Cairo, and in Caracas. At once and at the same time. God is there. 
This was never made more of a reality in my life until we visited our son in Africa and watching the people there with so much enthusiasm and so much of the Spirit of God just being an outpouring of their life and realizing, wow, while this is happening here, it's happening back there too. You see, God can't be localized to a city or a nation. Can't be contained in a building. And thirdly, God is always present whether we want it to believe it or not. You know, in the early days of space travel, one of the Russian cosmonauts returned from orbiting the earth and he announced this when he got back. He said, I looked out my space capsule and I did not see God anywhere. Somebody wrote, If you had taken off your spacesuit, you would have seen God. (laughs) You see, God's present whether we want to believe it or not. It's not based on whether we believe he's there or not. Now, one of the classic passages in the Bible about the omnipresence of God is, is found in Psalm 139. And what I love about this psalm is David's honesty. Because David's not afraid to admit just how awesome God is. So here's what I want us to do. We haven't done this for a while, but I want us to do it today. I want us just to stand together because I want us to read Psalm 139, verses 1 to 16, together as the body of Christ. Are you ready, church? Here we go. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know, when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I fly on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you would find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking, body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I love this passage of scripture for a lot of reasons, but, but as we look at this, David starts out in these first six verses being simply amazed at who God is. So much so that he just says, okay, God, just investigate me, man. Just, 
just investigate my life. I, I'm an open book to you. After all, you already know everything about me anyway. So here I am. And then that amazement leads to a question in verse 7. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? You know what the answer he comes back with is? No, there's not. There's not any place that we could go where we would be out of God's sight. You remember the story of Jonah. We went through this summer, we did a series on Jonah. Uh, if you remember that, or if you've read the book of Jonah, you know the story. You know, when God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go preach to this wicked city, the Ninevites. And it wasn't necessarily that Jonah didn't want to go preach to them, because he really did want to give them, you know, he, just re he really did want to tell them what, what they needed to do. He was just afraid God was going to be merciful and that he wasn't going to wipe them out. And that's really what he wanted. So, so he ends up jumping ship. You know, he, he heads, gets on a boat, headed for the farthest place he could imagine. And when he's on the boat, he ends up down in the belly of the boat. And as you know, he, he also then ends up in the belly of a whale. But the thing of it was, what he was trying to do was get as far away from God as he could. He thought, if I go to this place or that place, God will not be there. But guess what? He found out and discovered that God was with him. Even in the belly of a whale, God was there. You see, there's no place, as David discovered, that we can go. Charles Spurgeon wrote, go from him or flee from him. We cannot. Neither by patient travel nor by hasty flight can we withdraw from the all-surrounding deity. And then David says that death can't hide us, distance that can't keep us from his presence, darkness can't cover us, and, and these things begin to overwhelm David's thoughts, and, and it's kind of like a light begins to go off in his head, and this is what he kind of comes to the conclusion, and it's simply this. It's like he's saying, here's the reason why this is true. It's because you've known me. I mean, from the very beginning, you've known me, and you've loved me. And you've had a plan for me. Even before I was conceived, God, you knew me in my mother's womb. You knit me together. Every part of my being you created. I went from nothing to something, and it was all because of you. Here's what I want us to understand today. From the very beginning, God has longed to be with his people. He's longed to be with his people. To have them sense and experience his very presence so that that presence would change who they are and how they live. And so from the garden all the way through the Bible, God's desire has just to be with his people. I love what he tells Moses on the mountain when he gives him the laws. He says, here's what I want you I want you to take those down. I want you to tell them God's moving into the neighborhood. God's moving into the neighborhood. Now think about that for a moment. How would it make you feel? Or how would it change how you lived if you knew that next door to you God was moving in? Think it would make a difference in what you did, how you lived in your neighborhood if all of a sudden God moved into the neighborhood? And then he said, I'm going to move in, but here's what I need. And he gave them the instructions to build his kind of his portable mobile home. It was called a tabernacle. And so they build the tabernacle. Later through the Old Testament, Solomon builds him a temple. And with every step through the Old Testament, God was saying this. 
I want to get closer to you. I want you to experience my presence in an even greater way. And it was all leading up to the New Testament. And as we come into the New Testament, God's presence literally took on flesh through the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And so that's why we can read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. And truth, the word became flesh. God says, I'm going to get closer to you. I'm, I'm actually going to come and just live among you. Now think about that for a minute. How awesome would it have been? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be able to stand in front of Jesus? To see him. To shake his hand. Maybe to wrap your arms around him as he gives you a hug. How awesome would that have been to just be able to see and experience Jesus? But you know what? As awesome as that was, God goes, I'm not finished. That's not it. He said, my presence is going to get closer so much so that it's going to be with you 24-7. And so in Acts chapter 1, on the day that Jesus ascended to the Father, he promised that his presence would get closer. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God invaded the place where the disciples were. And it blew through their lives like this mighty rushing wind. And the gift of God's Spirit settled on everybody. And God proved at that very moment that he was getting closer. And Peter stood up and preached. And when he preached, the people were cut to the heart and cried out, well, what must we do? And look what it says in Acts 2, 38. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then look at this. And you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the very presence of God. And God said, I'm as close as I'm ever going to get. Here's what I want you to do. We've done this before, and I want you to do it again. I want you to take your arms and your hands and just hold them out in front of you and look at them. Go ahead, do this. Do this. You know why? Because what I want you to understand is this. As you are doing this, you're looking at the tabernacle of God. You are looking at God's new mobile home. It is called your life. Because when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, when he becomes your Lord and Savior, guess what? His very presence comes to live inside of you. You are now his tabernacle, his temple. You are his dwelling. You are his home. And he says, that's as close as I'm getting because I'm right inside your very heart and your very life. Now, why is this so important to understand? Why is it so important to understand the fact that he now lives within us? Here's why. Because there's a big difference between out there and in here. There's a big difference between out there and in here. And this is what I mean by that. I think as Christians, and I think when we really begin to grow in our relationship with Christ, we don't necessarily have a problem understanding the fact that God is everywhere. That God is out there, and he's among us, and he's here in this place. 
But I think we have a harder time understanding and realizing that he's in here. And the difference is this, when he's out there, when we go through struggles, when we go through times of, of temptation, we go through those problems in our life, we wonder how are we going to get through this? And you probably have even said it, I don't know what I'm going to do, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, what's going to happen? And it's, you, you know why we do that? It's because we still think he's out there. We have forgot that he's in here. And it's important that we understand that he now resides within our hearts. And because of that, that difference will change our outlook of life. And it will change how we view the circumstances of life. When we honestly understand that his presence lives within our hearts. We house the very presence of God. This has become his holy place. So... How can understanding that difference affect how we live as believers? Here are some important truths about his omnipresence that I think can help us. The first is this. We don't have to fear his presence. We don't have to fear his presence, but we do need to embrace it and allow it to change those areas that are leading us away from his presence. Here's what I mean by that. For some I really believe that the knowledge of his presence becomes very unsettling and even troubling to some people. I think for some people, knowing that God is within us and lives within us is a little bit scary. I mean, there are some things, if we were honest about it, that we really don't want God to know about, isn't there? I mean, we don't really want God to see what we're doing or where we're going. We really don't want God to hear the things we're saying or see the things we're reading or watching on the computer. And so it becomes a very unsettling for us to think that his very presence resides within our hearts. And so we sometimes fear it instead of embracing it and allowing it to help change us. But here's what we've got to remember. If we will allow it, the reality of the presence of God will always lead to repentance. And it will always lead to change. So let me ask you. Are you trying to run or hide from the presence of God? Are you trying to run or hide from the presence of God? Are you doing something in secret that you hope no one else would find out about? How about you? Where are you at? Is that you in your life? You know, in Wesley's sermon in 1788... The verse he used for the omnipresence of God was this verse, Jeremiah 23, 24. This is what it says. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? I am, am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? I mean, you may think you're doing some things in secret, but you're not. Because the God is already there. His presence is there. So let me be very honest with you. As David discovered, there's no place you can go to avoid the presence of God. And understanding that hopefully will help bring you back to the Father. But the second truth is this. His presence will give us the power to overcome all that life will throw our way. Here's the cool thing about the presence of God. Not only do we have his presence, we have his power. And so the same power that created the universe, the same power that knit us together in, in our mother's womb, 
The same power that allowed Moses to, to hold out his staff and part the sea. The same power that allowed David to conquer a giant. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power lives inside of us. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. And his very presence is, is a real part of who we are as believers. And so we have to allow that power of the presence to begin to change things in our lives. Because by understanding it, it helps us, first of all, to overcome our fears. It helps us to overcome our fears. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't tremble with fear, I'm your God. I will make you strong as I protect you with my arm and give you victories. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. You see, we have nothing to fear because of the presence of God. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 puts it this way. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, and get this, I'll never let you down, never walk off, and leave you. And we can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. And then I love this. I am, I'm fearless, no matter what. I'm fearless. Who or what can get to me? You see, we have the power to overcome our fears. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? What fear is dragging you down today? It doesn't have to. Because you have the very power of God living inside of you to help you overcome that fear. But it also helps us overcome the storms of life. Now, when I talk about the storms of life, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because your life is just one bad weather report after another one, isn't it? I mean, for some of you, maybe. I mean, think about it. You go from one bad weather report to the next. And so for you, there's a great story that's found in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23, that I think can help us to understand the power of God's presence and the comfort that that brings during the storms of life. This is what it says, Matthew's. Matthew 8, starting in verse 23, Jesus got into a boat, and his followers went with him. A great storm arose on the lake so that the waves covered the boat. So picture that, if you would. They're out in the middle of the, uh, uh, of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. They're out in the middle. This huge storm comes in and literally begins to tear the boat apart almost. The waves are crashing in. And the disciples are scared to death. Look what it says. His followers, but Jesus was sleeping. His followers went to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We will drown. Jesus answered, why are you afraid? You don't have enough faith. Then Jesus got up, gave a command to the wind and the waves, and it became completely calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this? Even the wind and the waves Obey him. And it's one thing to even picture Jesus sleeping through that, but he was. You know, but then to see the disciples, I mean, if you can get the picture in your mind, you know, disciples going over, shaking him, Jesus, Jesus, wake up, man. Go on, wake up, we're going to drown here. Do something. Which is amazing to me because they, they knew he could do something, but yet they were still scared, you know. Now, before you come down too hard on the disciples, the reality is we're not much different, are we? I mean, we're not a lot different. 
You see, even though you may have accepted Jesus in your heart, even though you call God your Father and His Son your Savior, even though you've got the Spirit of God living in your heart, when the election doesn't go the way you thought it would, when the first storm pops up, when the lightning begins to flash and the thunder begins to crack and the waves begin to lap against your life, guess what? Somehow we forget who he is. We forget he's the one that's in control. And we forget that he is there in the midst of the storm. And here's the thing we've got to remember. At that moment and at any moment, with the brush of his hand, he can calm whatever storm is in your life. With just a brush of his hand, or with just a word from his lips, and your storm can be calmed, and your circumstances can be brought to peace. The problem is we forget that, don't we? And we forget the power that's there through the storms of life. But he also helps us to overcome the worries of life. Psalm 29, 11 says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. I don't know if you realize this or not, but our enemy, man, he wants to do everything he can to rob you of your joy and to rob you of peace. And one of the ways he does that, one of the big ways he does that is through worry. Through worry. You see, when you fall into that trap of worrying about everything, it will literally suck the life right out of you. But when you honestly realize that God's presence is with you, and his power is there with you, it will change everything about your outlook. That's why Jesus could say these words in Matthew 6, starting in the last half of verse 30. See if you recognize these first words. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? The people who don't know God, get this. The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your Father in heaven knows you need them. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all the other needs will be met as well. You know, as I read that, this is what hits me. It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of focus. Jesus is saying this. Change your focus. Take your focus off what you think you want and what you think you need and put your focus on my kingdom. Because when you change your focus, everything else will be put into perspective. You will stop worrying about what you want and what you think you need and you'll just start worrying about, or not worrying about, but having peace in the fact that I'm in control because you're doing my kingdom work. So it's a matter of focus. You see, you can choose to worry and miss out on all the good things of life, or you can choose to trust and rest in his presence and enjoy the abundant life, the Zoe life that we talked about last week, and the incredible peace that he intended you to have. That's why Paul could write in Philippians 4, 7, in God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But we also have the power to overcome the temptations of life. Again, we tend to forget that we have his presence living inside of us who will help us and empower us to overcome all that the enemy will throw our way. That's why John could write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, these amazing words. My dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. Never forget that. 
The spirit of God that lives in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. You see, God's presence gives us the power and it gives us the courage to stand even in the face of temptation. But the last thing, his presence gives us direction. It gives us direction we need. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but man, the older I get, I realize it. And that is this, so much of my life is just out of my control. <laughs> you know, I mean, life is just seems to be out of my control. That's why these verses are so comforting to me. The psalmist writes in Psalm 32, 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Solomon wrote, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. That's where we get ourselves in trouble, isn't it? We just try to figure it out on our own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. You and I, we don't know the future. But here's the cool thing. The one who does lives inside of us. And he's wanting to show us and to guide us and to direct us along the paths of life. You see, the good news is that regardless of what happens, you and I don't go through life alone. There's a God who will always be with us. Let's reflect. Brother Lawrence wrote a fascinating book many years ago called Practicing the Presence of God. You see, for 15 years, his sole responsibility was to wash the greasy pots and pans in the monastery, a job he really disliked. But practicing the presence of God transformed what he considered a horrible chore into an exciting privilege. This is what he writes. Now my day-to-day -day life consists of giving God my simple, loving attention. If I'm distracted, he calls me back in tones that are supernaturally beautiful. The most holy and necessary practice, get this, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. Wow. Let me ask you, how has understanding God's presence changed you? How has it transformed you? Do you find pleasure in his very presence? Do you take comfort in knowing that he's an ever-present part of your daily life? Or are you still trying to hide from him? Still trying to keep those things hidden, those, or those secret parts of your life away? Are you still trying to kind of put him in a box and set him in a closet when you don't need him, and you bring him out and kind of open the box when you do? Where are you at with the presence of God? Cruz is going to come and just play in the background. And this is just a time we have to reflect on our God 
and on what he has done and his presence in our life. Do you find great pleasure in the presence of the Father in your life? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you need. But I do know this is the time when you need to just come. Whatever's going on in your life, if you just need prayer today, then come. If you just want to surrender to God, then you just come. First service, Dorothy and Kent Kenyon came, and um, they just uh, came to make this their church home while they're here. Maybe that's what's on your life or your heart. But whatever you have today as Cruz plays and we reflect, you just come. And we'll pray with you and encourage you for whatever you need in your life. Let's reflect.